Hello and welcome to the Light from Light podcast with me, Daniel. And me, Brother Thomas Therese. No comma OP? <laughs> oh no, I am still a Dominican. Comma <laughs> 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 OP. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right, thanks. Yeah, can't complain. How about you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. All your essays going well? I mean, your time doesn't actually finish for a for a while forever yeah <laughs> <laughs> unlike mine thank god yeah yeah it's a long term uh, the times of 15 weeks compared to yours which is eight weeks yeah it's mine very only, intense i didn't yeah. any double i mean yeah yours are intense while you're well yeah you seem but to then have... it passes quickly yeah weeks. i mean every time i say that i, I say oh how are you doing you, you've always got an assignment like every day you've got something that you need to submit <laughs> yeah, no. yeah well I'm i don't envy you three modules and there's stuff every single week for each module mm. and sometimes there's a big assignment so yeah there's a lot to do but you know it pushes you to learn very quickly yes and to learn yeah. a lot and then you cover so much in the short space of time you look back and you think oh actually i i, I covered so much there there's lots of depth there so it's something you can keep revisiting i think that's the main thing you're enjoying it, it gives you a strong foundation yeah, I am. But, you, you know, you have a lot of work to do as well. You have an assignment every week. How many assignments over the course of your studies? Oh, over the years, we have hundreds and hundreds of essays. So we have, let me see if I can work it out. We have, what, eight essays a term. Uh, sometimes like 4,000 words. And that's what... Um, Eight, 16, I'm really not good with maths. <laughs> 16 20, plus 8. 24 in a year. 24, and then times that by 7. 24 times 7. How many essays is that? Mm, I wasn't. A lot. <laughs> I wasn't counting. <laughs> it's 20, a lot. It's 20, a lot. 24 so times 7. Over 100. Then plus all your other things yeah. you have to do as well. Little reflections and preparing to give homilies. House jobs, yeah. talks that you're asked to give. Yeah. Yeah, it's life given. It's life given. Like our subject is celibacy. (laughs) Celibacy. (laughs) But that sounds counterintuitive. How can celibacy be life given? That's an interesting thought. Mm, What do you think? Uh, Well, we'll come back to it. But first of all, first of all, what is celibacy? Well, celibacy is a, a state in life that sort of is a form of chastity whereby you choose never to be married. Um so I mean, it's different then from abstinence. So, for example, you might have a married couple who abstain from sex, or you have uh, people who are not married who uh, are not having sex. But that's quite different from celibacy as a way of life. So celibacy is a chosen state in life whereby you choose to forego marriage and the goods of marriage for another good. Or goods, I would say. Goods of married life are probably a bit more evident to us. So mm-hmm. the goods of married life are things like children and love of the other and the fact that you can give yourself to the other and, and it uh, love comes forth yeah. from the child. So that's, that's pretty obvious. But what about celibacy then? I would say that actually some of the goods that you see are actually very similar or parallel right? With married life. With married life. So you're still giving your life for, you're not just giving your life for an other, or unless you want to say you're, you're giving your life for the church, which is true, but obviously the, or you're giving your life for Christ, but it's not really so much for an other, but for others, plural. You give your life for the good of others. So it's not an egotistical life. It's not a self-centered life. It's a life whereby you lay down your life for others. 
Um, it's also a fruitful life because you have um, you will have spiritual children. In the case of, of, of priests and, and religious in particular, you have spiritual children. Um, and yeah, so there are, I think, spiritual parallels with marriage. Just as marriage, for example, also represents the great love and the, the unshakable uh, love that God has for his people. That's what marriage marriage uh, represents. Similarly, uh, the celibate way of life is also an expression of love. You lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. You lay down your life so that others may live. And what greater love has a man than this, then he should die for his friends, as we read in scripture. So it's also an expression of the divine self-sacrificial love. Both marriage and the celibate life are expressions of love, are joyful and, and happy ways of living. Um, they're ways of life that you can choose. Uh, they're ways of life which can be fruitful, which are ordered uh, towards the good of another or others. So um, what are those four goods then that you mentioned? The four goods would be so. I, I, yeah, I'll I'll, draw, I'll focus on I'll focus on four because there are lots that we could yeah, say. We could, yeah, so there are lots. So I'd focus on. So some of them are functional and some of them are not. So ordinarily, when people are talking about celibacy, very often they will fall very quickly into talking about functional things. Functional mm. things, yeah. That it's practically beneficial for other people, and that's part of the story. And I think one of the reasons why priests will focus on this is because it's something which is understandable to people who have not chosen this way of life. I suppose it's also tangible. It's it's you when you talk about functional things that they have more time. It's a functional thing that yeah. can be measured. Exactly, yeah. yeah it's something so, you can see much more quickly. Yeah. So for for example, um, as somebody who has chosen a celibate way of life, um, I am more readily available for ministry. So I have this sort of radical availability whereby people can lay claim on my time in such a way that they wouldn't be able to do if I had uh, a family, if I had a spouse and if I had a family because of my obligations to my spouse and to my family um, and the sort of stresses that it can create uh, in, in that family. I don't have to worry about those things. I can be radically uh, available um, in a way that uh, people in marriage might struggle with, right? So that's one obvious practical thing. I, I also have uh, more time to be able to study and prepare for preaching and for ministry and things like that um, because I don't have the same stresses and pressures that people have in, in family life. And St. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. Mm. In 1 Corinthians 7, he uh, says, you know, married people are concerned with worldly things and their spouse and they have, he talks about them having a divided interest, whereas the unmarried man is concerned with the things of the Lord. Now, I would say that in so marriage... Mean that they're in conflict. It's they're not in conflict, no. So, yeah. You're going to love your family. And you serve the Lord by loving your family. You serve the Lord by loving your spouse. You serve the Lord by loving your children. Um, but it's different. Where, where your time is focused is different. And how you uh, can spend your time in service of the Lord is different. So that's a sort of a practical a practical side, but there's also a more ontological side as well, because Jesus Christ himself was not married. 
And I think this is really important precisely because there are some people who would only focus on the functional reasons, but that's reductive, you see. So, and to be fair, as I, as I said before, you know, sometimes this is because of how priests talk about it. We focus on the practical terms because people can understand it, but that's only part of the story. So I would say that actually one of the primary reasons, if not the primary reason, why we choose celibacy is to be more closely conformed to Christ, who himself was celibate. And Jesus is, is celibate. But also in heaven, we will not be married. Yes. That's something that, that Jesus says himself when he's he's challenged, isn't he? He um, is. It's either the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Isn't yeah. It? Right. Whichever one doesn't <laughs> believe in the resurrection. He's challenged by a group who put to him this, this was a woman has been married seven times. And who will she be married to of those seven brothers? In the resurrection. In, in the resurrection in heaven as if to try and trap him and then he says so in in heaven you will not uh, be married one will not be given to another in marriage mm-hmm. so it seems then so marriage is for the particular purpose of why we're here on earth to help others to come to heaven to help the spouse to heaven and to help children to heaven and then the the priests and the the religious and celibate help families in that way mm-hmm. help others to heaven in that way so there is a sort of parallel you're more given to that but then it's also like a sign for for heaven you in a way your celibate life as a celibate friar is to be available to other people and to remind them then of heaven and what that union with god will look like absolutely i mean this is why the church calls religious uh, you know eschatological signs uh, we point forward to what things will be like in the future in the kingdom of heaven. So what does that eschatological mean? What does that word mean? Eschatological, it comes from the Greek word eschaton, which is about the end or things of the end. And usually when we talk about things that are eschatological, uh, we're talking about um, the end times or we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. We're talking about this future uh with with god sorry the chairs the chairs in this room are breaking uh i'll get on to the bursar to uh, fix the chairs uh but yeah i mean the the story that you talk about there where jesus is confronted you find that in matthew mark and luke in all three of the synoptic um and yeah you're quite right that um jesus basically says that in the kingdom of heaven will be like angels in as much as that we neither marry nor are nor are given in marriage Mm. Um, and so marriage then comes to an end with death, right? So what, but what marriage, one of the things that marriage reflects here on earth is the unbreakable, unshakable, undeniable, irrevocable love that God has for his people, a love which is fruitful, a love which is faithful, uh, a love which isn't always, isn't always easy, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've heard celibacy described like this, that it's it's really about the love of God um, that the love has for his people, as you said there. So if you think in marriage, so two people come together in marriage and in a way their their hearts are stretched for the other person because, you know, it's hard. It is hard to love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it might be easy to fall in love. It's hard to stay in love and to act in that love. But I imagine for a, for a celibate, friar or for anyone who chooses celibacy it can be hard it must be challenging it must be challenging to to love sometimes and to yeah. be available to to love to to make yourself available yeah. to to choose to love the other person partly because i think sometimes the gift that you've given for them you know you lay down your life you've laid down your life for them and sometimes that that 
isn't always appreciated isn't always appreciated mm. um sometimes when people think about the clerical state or when they think about religious or priests or whatever they think of it as this being this like really privileged life whereby everyone shows you all this deference and honor i can definitely say uh, certainly in england that's not really true i think that we need to move to a society where we have this this courtesy and mm. mutual deference for each other regardless of what state of life you're in um but i i do think that there should be courtesy shown to people and that there should be um you know if somebody has sacrificed something for you i think that there is um a certain gratitude that actually you should show um uh, regardless of whether you've asked for the gift or not you know if somebody gave me a gift even if i didn't ask for it i would be grateful and i would say thank you, you i know. suppose that sort of preempts that people would see celibacy as a gift mm. and so we probably need to move more towards that how it how is it a, a gift but we want to avoid the the two extremes of i suppose the the extreme of thinking that celibacy is this is way above anything else so priests are uh, sort of like clericalism priests are um to be taken on every single word that they say to be true because then that obviously leads to some problems and then the the other extreme is no respect at all for mm-hmm. celibacy or for for clerics or religious mm-hmm. but you want a sort of balance in between yeah. don't you a healthy sort of balance yeah i mean it's true to say that i mean priests uh, and religious have given up uh certain goods for the good of the people and you know we study and we train and uh we pray and we cultivate our life in such a way so as to be uh fruitful and beneficial for the service and for the good of others and with that then there is a certain um listening then that that then does go on you know if i went to my my gp surgery and my gp was talking to me about medical issues i would listen to what my gp said in a similar way if i hear a priest or a religious you know speaking about spiritual issues you know i should take seriously what what they've said because they've trained and studied and given and devoted their life to this it doesn't mean that they're right about everything mm. you know it doesn't mean that you can't raise your concerns actually canon law says that sometimes you have the right and obligation and duty to raise concerns with your with your pastor with your priest uh, and and things like that you know actually one thing that i want to make the 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 point of saying is that there are many celibate people who are not priests and who are not religious mm. there are many people in the world who have chosen a celibate life but are not priests and not religious i know like a lot of what what i've said so far in this episode a lot of what we've said in this episode has been well you know priests and religious you know this that, and the, the other i'm i'm talking about um that because actually that's my experience um but i also recognize that there are a lot of people within the church who have chosen a celibate way of life where am i going with this <laughs> <laughs> who have chosen a celibate way of life but are not priests and are not religious and there are people who have you know who will essentially end up living a celibate way of life not necessarily through choice uh because you know it's not that they haven't uh had a desire to marry it's not that they've never fallen in love or that people have never fallen in love with them um but for whatever reason uh either they can't marry or they choose not to marry and so essentially they end up living a celibate way of life and i think that that they also deserve a certain respect and a certain recognition mm. for pursuing the path of holiness that christ sets out before him 
uh, before them in in church teaching. And of course, that way of life is very faithful to to God, but also very fruitful for the mm. church. So we've spoken about two of the goods, two of the four goods that you've highlighted. So imitation of Christ mm-hmm. and also the practical reasons of celibacy. Mm-hmm. So what are the other two? Um, well, I would say another reason why we choose the celibate way of life is to be a sign of credibility of the gospel. What I mean by that is, well, I'll tell you a little story. When I was a novice, um, there was a discussion that I overheard about the Eucharist. And people, some people were saying, you know, the Eucharist is just a sign, the Eucharist is just a symbol. I should probably point out, it wasn't any of the novices or any of the religious that were saying this. This is something that we had on the street. Mm-hmm. And somebody was saying, you know, the Eucharist is just a sign, it's just a symbol. And I remember saying, you know, I'm not celibate for a symbol. Mm. And that that's part of, of what I'm trying to get at, right? So celibacy is such a radical way of life that it's also intending to show we really believe this stuff, right? We really believe in the gospel. We really believe in the resurrection of the body. We really believe... Um, in Christ's real presence in the Eucharist. We really believe these things. Uh, we really believe in the service that you should show to your brother and sister. We really believe uh, that it is a good thing to give up all things joyfully for the service of your brother and sister in Christ, for the service of Christ and his church. So we give up. Why else would you give up perfectly good things like marriage, like sex, like a family life? These things are good. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason why we give up those things is for another good, you know? So it's a way of, um, I think, being in your whole person a credible sign. There is nothing that you haven't given to God. You know, and people can see that. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why I think religious dress, like when priests wear, wear the collar or the cassock or when religious wear the, 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 the habit or they might wear a cross as a sign of their profession. I think these, these are good things because they remind people of the gospel and that Christ isn't dead and that there are people who have sacrificed every aspect of their life. You know, my time is not my own. I've given all of my time to God in service of his people. My my sexuality is given to God as a gift, you know. And essentially what you're doing is you're returning back to God things which he has given you. And he sanctifies it, he makes it he he sanctifies you, he makes you holy and he returns a new life to you, you know? So you mentioned it's uh, given to God the gifts that you've already received from Him. So, mm. for example, your time, your your uh, money, your energy, your love. So you mm-hmm. give these back to God. But doesn't a someone who's married does that as well? So, so how is that different? Do they return it to God through a different way? Yeah, I would say it's in a different way. I think it's more strange for a lot of people in society when they see somebody who has given up. Um, uh, the ordinary way of living in society. It calls people towards that, That it goes back to, I suppose, being an eschatological sign. It calls people towards the kingdom to come. You know, as we said before about living your, your heaven here and now, um, there is a much more radical, 
obviously self-sacrificial way of being in celibacy. Okay, and then the fourth one then? So the fourth one is a little bit different. And this one is really more a sort of reflection on poverty. So I would say that really the greatest poverty in our world is a poverty of the heart. You know, Mother Teresa talks about a... um, the greatest poverty in the world being a poverty of love. But in this particular way, it's a poverty of a certain sort of love. And I say a certain sort of love because the lives of celibate people are still lives filled with joy and still lives filled with love and still lives filled with meaning. You know, I've got many close friendships. I've got my family and my friends and my brothers. Um, so religious brothers. Yeah, my religious brothers. Yeah. I'm an only child, otherwise. <laughs> yeah. But in our life as celibates, you know, we choose to identify ourselves radically with those who experience a certain sort of poverty of the heart. People who, for whatever reason, cannot mar- marry or have just never married, and we enter into total solidarity with them. So, and this isn't always a, a, a sort of poverty which is chosen. There are some people who want to get married and fall in love, but just never get married. And well, we as, 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 consecrated celibate people we consecrate that poverty in christ's name we enter into their life intimately as celibate monks and nuns and sisters friars and priests and and the celibate lay people and we i mean it can also involve a certain sort of poverty of honor and a certain sort of poverty of a poverty of a certain sort of affection we're sometimes seen as strange in the eyes of the world for not being married or not having sex or not having children. But we're not weird in the sight of God and we're not weird in the sight of the church. We're cherished. And as those who have chosen celibacy, we give encouragement to others who are lonely or who are single. And we know the cross of the lonely and we've embraced it. We live a life which is, to some extent, a life of solitude which is, I would say is subtly different to a life of loneliness, partially because it's something that's embraced. And our life is not without joy. Our life is not without love. Sometimes there can be a certain sort of loneliness, sometimes. But by embracing this way of life, we say that God is present here too. You are not forsaken just because you're not married or because you don't have sex. Love is not reducible to the married life. And that's what we show in this radical way by living this different way of life um yeah it's also of course important to point out that there are some who have chosen the celibate way of life who have no intention of becoming priests or religious and in their life they still show forth god's creative love it's a fruitful life it's a happy life uh when chosen and embraced and it's a life built on the gospel paul uh is a single man who's who's a celibate man christ uh is a uh celibate man um, you know, Jeremiah, the prophet, he's told not to take a wife. So this is something that you find in scripture. And it's about single hearted, devoted service to the Lord. Um, and yeah, it's it's a life lived in a very different way uh, to marriage. How you serve the Lord in marriage is by helping your spouse come to heaven and and uh, your children come to heaven and you care for your your wife and your children your family uh with with religious you choose all you're a member of no family and you're a member of every family mm. uh you know um 
And in a sense, it's, it's not something that you're made to do, is it? I mean, no. Oh, you've freely chosen it, yeah. I mean, really, for it to be fruitful, you have to choose to live it. You can't see it as some sort of imposition because anything that's taken as an imposition is not going to be lived freely and and lived out fully and yeah. fruitfully. But really, it's something that is people are invited to, mm. to choose. It's not imposed upon people. Absolutely. It hasn't been imposed upon you, has it? No, I, 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 exactly. You're exactly right. I think this is one of the great myths around celibacy. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a lady who came to a talk here, and I remember the, the talk had nothing to do with celibacy at all, but her question was very emotive, and she was very upset. And she spoke about... Um, celibacy and how terrible it is that priests are forced not to marry and i mean i didn't say anything at the time because i didn't think it was it was prudent at the time but what i really wanted to say was this is what a life this is a life that we have chosen and we have chosen this way of life for your benefit and for your good it's not that priests have been forced not to marry we had a choice we could choose the married life or we could choose priesthood. We had the choice whether we wanted to be married or to be ordained to the priesthood. And we do have some priests in the Latin Rite Church. Um, we do have some uh, some priests who are married. Uh, you know, in the Ordinariate uh, of Our Lady of Walsingham, there are priests who are married. In the uh, Catholic Orthodox churches, there are priests who are married. I mean, I, I should probably point out that they're married before they're ordained. It's never been the tradition in the church, either in the East or in the West, that somebody can be ordained and then subsequently get married. Um, you're married before you're ordained. That's how, how it's always worked in, in the church. Um, so, yeah, I, it's it's a myth to say that priests are forced not to marry. Priests choose not to marry. Uh, they choose. We choose actively, proactively, we choose the celibate life. It's not just something that tags on like an unfortunate afterthought imposed by somebody else. We actively choose it and we will it and we choose it for good reasons. We choose it for love. That's why we choose it. We choose it for your benefit. Uh, yeah. So don't feel sorry for us, basically. <laughs> and I choose, oh, this is it. You know, we choose it again. I choose it again. It's a fruitful, happy, joyful, fulfilling way of life, that a life that's given in service of, of God and his people. I suppose it's a, it's a bit like marriage. When you think of when you marry someone, it's not just imposed fidelity on that, that you have f fidelity, faithfulness to that one person. It's not something that's imposed on it. It's something that is beautifully compatible with it. It's part of the calling to be married is faithfulness to that one person. So it's it's like this with, with celibacy. The fact mm. that you can't marry mm. uh, it, when you're when you choose celibacy is not an imposition, but something that is that comes along with it as a as a beautiful acceptance of service of God. To put mm. it like that, yeah. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's something that just sort of comes along with it. I'd say it's something that sort of that is actively actively chosen i mean it's not disconnected either you know um but as i said before you can have people who choose a celibate way of life um uh or who are called to a celibate way of life who are not necessarily called to priesthood or to religious life you know um 
So it's, it's yeah, and it's not something that's intrinsic to it because we have married priests. Mm. Uh, we have people who got married and then and then became priests or, or permanent deacons, for example. There are many permanent deacons who are married. Um, but yeah, I mean, celibacy is a way of life which is proactively chosen. Um, you don't simply discern a vocation to priesthood and celibacy is just something that happens to come along with it. Mm. You also discern a vocation to celibacy. Wow. Are there any last comments that you wanted to mention Ooh. about celibacy? We're coming to the end of our episode now. Is there anything? I, I would maybe bring in Matthew 19. Um, there are people who are eunuchs from birth, people who are made eunuchs by men and people who have chosen to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Uh, a eunuch was a, a royal attendant at the court uh, who was basically castrated um, and they were trusted. They, were, they could be trusted in the presence of the queen when the king was absent, um, uh, partly because they'd been castrated, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, just to sort of tease out some spiritual insights there, there are some people who have been eunuchs from birth, there are some people who have been made so by men, and there are some who have chosen, some who have chosen for the sake of the kingdom. This comes in the context of Jesus talking about marriage and saying that actually it's better for some people not to marry. So yeah, there are some people who will never marry. There are some people who choose not to marry. There are some people who have not chosen, not chosen it. Um, but nevertheless, that's the life that they will live. Um, but there are some people who choose it for the sake of the kingdom, for the upbuilding of God's people. And that's what you see in, in the case of priesthood and religious life. And we bring and consecrate, uh, we, we, we bring God's present to those people who experience loneliness and who experience a certain sort of poverty of, of, of the heart. We enter into total solidarity with them. We understand their struggles. We understand their pains. Um, and we live as one of them. We live as one of of the of the of the poor in this way. Yeah. And I think I think it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful way of life. You should you should think about it. And I th I think maybe this is the last thing I'll say before I start rambling. Um <laughs> If you are in a position where the church says um, that you are unable to marry for whatever reason, um, or yeah, I mean, basically, maybe I should just say, think about embracing the celibate way of life, because it can be a joyful and positive way of life in service of Christ and his kingdom, not necessarily as a priest or religious but certainly for the service of his kingdom. If you have any questions, of course, if you have any questions uh, about celibacy, um, then do feel free to, um, yeah, to get in touch. And maybe we'll have a follow-up episode at some point in the future asking, uh, answering some of your questions on celibacy or on any other question. If you have any ideas for uh, episode topics, um, then yeah, get in touch in the comments, uh, send us a message, drop us a line and, um, let us know. Thank you everyone. Bye-bye. God bless.